Come on up, and why don't you guys honor Steve? Amen? Awesome. Thanks, Jesus. Perfect. Yeah, why don't we get rid of those before I, I hurt them accidentally? Hey, is this okay for everybody? You guys can see me all right? I'm not that tall, but I live in an, an exalted place. Talk a little bit about that later. I got a little nervous when Ray said he was going to plug that book. I'm in Kentucky. I thought he was going to pull a gun out and shoot it. And so uh, <laughs> that is what you guys call plugging, right? Up here. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, I like guns. My wife bought me a, a new Glock for Christmas, so uh, I was just very excited about it. I just, uh, you guys like guns up here? Okay, all right, just checking. I was just in Montana. In Montana, the average, the, I think the average number of guns that a man has is 28, 28 apiece. And they said the average woman has 34 out there. <laughs> Montana. So uh, it was, uh, it was, that was an interesting time. I was out there just pr- maybe less than a month ago, and uh, somebody actually threw a three-pound rock at me while I was speaking. True story. Um, I posted on my Facebook page and uh, screamed at the top of their lungs, this is all wrong, this is all crazy, and threw this rock that came crashing through this uh, stage door and hit this fan and uh, one of my prophetic intercessors who prays her everything I do, and she's just, um, she was one of my interns years ago, and she has this remarkable gift. Uh, she and a group had prayed, and one of them had seen uh, a rock being catapulted at me as I was speaking and as the gospel was confronting old mindsets. And, and so when this thing happened, of course, there was 11 pastors that had put this event on. Two of them get up and start running out, and security people are, you know, just running out after me, everybody in the facility is just coming unglued, not knowing what in the world just happened. I went, oh, my intercessor saw this. This is awesome. We're right on track. Let's keep going. <laughs> you know, and so and I was just very thankful that they had not brought their guns that night So uh, because it was Montana. But I also think Ray really nailed it when he was talking about this whole idea of being a friend of the Lord. I'm going to submit to you tonight and what we're going to not just talk about but do during our time here uh, is we're we're going to discover uh, how friendly the Lord is towards us and we're going to discover how close he's brought us. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to discover some things that are going to absolutely blow your mind. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and let you know in advance that some of you are going to struggle as I share some really basic biblical concepts because they're going to confront religious mindsets and you're going to think that I'm going too far at times. You're going to think that the the gospel is too good and you're also going to be tempted to believe this just can't be right. But I promise you this, I'm going to base what we do on the scriptures And it's all based in the love of God, and it's just absolutely amazing. It's empowering, and it's going to set us on a brand new course to demonstrate the kingdom of God wherever we go. Can you hear that? What I want to tell you is this. um, 
most of the church right now has captured over the last 20 years, a good portion, at least our branch of the church, has captured this idea of a desire to live a supernatural life. And um, we've, we've begun to see healing and signs and wonders and uh, the prophetic and these kinds of things as really sort of the, the heritage or the destiny of believers for us to be able to walk in this. Um, the problem is this. In beginning to see a supernatural life as being possible, we began to wrongly think that we had to give ourselves to more natural religious works in order to produce that supernatural life. And what it began to do was this. It began to create a desire in people who wanted to live a supernatural life they began to give themselves more and more and more to devotional things, disciplines, reading the scriptures, uh, additional times of prayer. Be- they began to draw away from society. And in their pursuit to become a supernatural people, they actually began to, uh, to become mon- um, what would the word right word be? Monastic. They began to be a little bit monastic, drawing away, living an ivory tower life in order to protect themselves from becoming stained at all or to be holy so that they could live the supernatural life. Are you listening to me? And the problem was we were getting pulled further away from the society that we're supposed to change supernaturally. And then some people began to react to that, and they they began to react to the whole supernatural message, and they began to say, no, we need to be practically involved, and they began to get involved in practical things, and, and that's good as well because we do need to be practically involved. But I have news for you. There is no way to practically change the way that the world is moving forward. We're going to have to supernaturally impact it while being there to touch it. We have to have both of these things together. Is everybody with me? Is this making sense? And so here's what I want to tell you. Supernatural life is not only possible, it's not only possible as a hope for you in the future, you can live a supernatural life right now. And you can live a supernatural life right now while still having enough time to impact practical things in your community. You don't have to devote 12 hours a day to prayer and fasting in order to be supernatural. If you had to do that, Jesus could not have done what he did. Does that make sense? I mean, he didn't live in an ivory tower. He walked around, he spent time with people, but somehow he had this divine, supernatural connection with his father that he lived in all the time. And what I want to tell you and what I want us to discover is this kind of life is absolutely possible. Not only is it possible, it is very easily attainable. And it's easily attainable because it's been given to us. I want you to look at the person next to you. Say, you are looking good. Yes, absolutely. And then I want you to look back at them and I want you to say this. I want you to say, you're supernatural. It's not that you can be supernatural. You are supernatural right now. You're supernatural right now. You may not feel it. Uh, you may not think you are. But you're dramatically supernatural. Let me, uh, let me tell you a story I've got, by the way, I have five children, and um, 
Yeah, they're great. I mean, they are really wonderful. I've got a 7, a 9, and 12-year-old daughters, and a 14 and a 16-year-old son. And so uh, after the fifth one was born, um, somebody asked my wife, so you're going to have any more children? She said, not unless we change the name of the ministry to Mormon Star. <laughs> and she said, this wife has had all the children she's having. So it's, and I thought, I can't handle one. I'm certainly not getting another one. So Morning Star, it stays. We're not going to Mormon Star. But my oldest son, I was um, in Reading this summer uh, in June doing a conference with uh, Bill Johnson and those guys. Just had a great time. And while I was in California, my oldest son calls me. And he, he just, he's, he's, he's just everything you would imagine a 16-year-old to be. He's, he's brilliant. He's amazing. He's aggressive. He really is brilliant. He's a National Merit Scholar uh, semifinalist, just filing for his papers to be a finalist. He's already gotten four full-ride-plus scholarship offers to colleges he's not even applied to. And so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> and so it's, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to turn this into a business, you know. And so uh, I'd like to enroll him in four at one time and only pay tuition for one and pocket the rest of the money. But anyway, he calls me, and he's, he just, he, he's like every other 16-year-old, you know, in, in certain ways. He, he says, hey, Dad. I said, hey, John, how's it going? He said, good. Did you hear the news? You know, like whatever is going on with him or whatever he's thinking about, that's the news. You know, six billion people on the planet, but whatever's happening with him, it's the news. And so uh, you understand. So I'm in the, I'd just gotten out of this meeting. People are waiting to talk to me. And I said, sure. Uh, you, are you talking about Michael Jackson? He said, yeah. See, I was in California when Michael Jackson died. So where it was big news where you were, I was in California. It was huge news. It really was the news at that point. So John said, Dad, you know, I'm on the, I'm on the coast. I'm on the Gulf Coast down in uh, Alabama. We've been out. We haven't even seen the media. I started telling everybody yesterday that Michael Jackson had died. It just came into my heart, into my mind. And we we're just out there on the coast doing all this stuff. We got back in, turned on the TV, and somebody runs up and says, John, you were right. Michael Jackson died. And he's, he comes to me and he goes, Man, what, Dad, what, you know, what's up with this? What's going on? You know, he's been getting prophetic stuff since he was 18 months old. I mean, I could tell you stories about him that would just that, make you afraid to be around him. But he's just all too normal at the same time. And so he gets this thing about Michael Jackson, so we talk about it, you know, and his friends were amazed. And in a lot of ways, he, he's done this kind of thing about famous people for some time. Two weeks later, we're on vacation, and um, he gets up, and I just simply said to him, you get anything in the night? He said, I had, I had a crazy dream. I had a dream about, and he named this professional athlete. He said, I dreamed that he was assassinated. Well, it's a strange phraseology to use concerning a professional athlete, because you think maybe a head of a state would be assassinated, but you know, a professional athlete. And he said, yeah, it was really odd. He said, what do you think that means? I said, well, you know, it can mean any of a number of things. Let's just watch and see what's going to happen. And so two weeks later or ten days later, all of a sudden, this professional athlete who's extremely well-known uh, was accused of something heinous in the media. All the media starts reporting it. And I told John, I said, the Lord showed you ten days, two weeks ago, that's not true. That's character assassination. And about three weeks later, or four weeks later, it came out that this was a, a fabrication, that this, this was, really was character assassination. Here we've got my 16-year-old son living 
this amazing supernatural life where God speaks to him. Meanwhile, uh, he's being sought after by schools. He's thinking about potentially doing an, um, an Ivy League thing. We, we don't know yet. We're, we're wor- working through all this. He's got this interesting passion for business. He loves sports and entertainment, and God speaks to him about people in these unique positions of influence and authority. And I feel like I'm watching God mold a life and prepare it to go into a position of society and dramatically impact it supernaturally. Are you listening to me? He's the most normal kid on the planet. I mean, he, I mean, he doesn't sound normal right now, but you know, you think about National Merit Scholarship and all this kind of stuff, but he really is normal. He's, he loves the Lord, he, but he gets angry with his brothers. He gets impatient. Um, he went to get his hair cut yesterday, and I said, do you know where my dry cleaner is? He said, Yes. At 7 o'clock, I called him. I said, uh, are, you, are you on your way somewhere? He said, no, I'm still getting my hair cut. I said, did you get my dry cleaning? He said, no, I'm going to go get it afterwards. I said, they close at 7. Oh, I didn't know that, Dad. Turns out later, he didn't even know where the dry cleaner was. He was just saying that to get the keys to the car to go get his hair cut. <laughs> I mean, he thought he knew. Because he said it, he thought that he knew. You know, you know what you call that? When, somebody, when you say that you know something that you don't know? It's called lying. <laughs> my seven or my sixteen-year-old, brilliant, dramatically hears from God, does all this, doesn't tell the truth at times. He's still supernatural. He's maturing through that part of his life. He didn't do it as bad as he used to. That does not hinder God from using him. There's some evaluation going on in the room. Steve, are you saying that it's okay to lie? I didn't say that at all. I simply said that having issues in your life does not hinder God from using you. Ladies and gentlemen, if that hinders God from using you, he ain't using anybody. Somebody says God can't use messed up people. It's the only type of people there are. Unless y'all know some people I don't know. And I'm talking about the, the, the person that stares back at me in the mirror. We all have issues. And if you're waiting until your issues are gone, if you're waiting until you've conquered those things, if you're waiting until you have perfected the spiritual life in order to live a supernatural life, it will never happen. That is the reason for the blood of Jesus. That is the reason for the gift of the Holy Spirit. All those people who say, well, God can't dwell where there's sin, then why did his Holy Spirit take up residence inside of us? Got real quiet again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, hello. Say, well, Steve, I don't know, we, we, I, I don't know you're, you're, you're messing with it. Yes, here's what I want to tell you. He has cleansed you. He has washed you. You are clean. Your spirit is holy. He has put himself 
inside of you. God himself has taken up residence inside of you by his spirit. He is there. He is there. Well, Steve, I don't know, man. I've messed up. I know when I've read that little thing that's on people's walls, like when I go into their house and they love God, they put these little religious things on their walls. And it says, it says, if you're away from God, guess who moved? Or it says something like, God hates sin, and your sin separates you from God. And yes, your sin does separate you from God. And yes, God does hate sin. But I have news for you. When you sin, God does not run away. Steve, this is not motivating people to a life of holiness. Steve, you, you've got to, you cannot relax the standards. I have not relaxed the standards. I am simply quoting the truth. I want you to listen to me. I don't think all of our holiness preaching has produced very much holiness. The greatest holiness preachers of our generation have had some of the most spectacular falls of any of the people who have spoken publicly about the name of the Lord. Oh, amen, Steve. That is good preaching. You were telling the truth. Do not make me come out there and amen myself. I will do it. It's true. I mean, let's, let's not, let's not walk, watch the emperor walk in naked and say, oh, he's got some, those clothes are beautiful. I mean, we need to admit the truth, don't we? Okay. Steve, I don't know. I've heard all my life that our sin separates us from God. It does. But you've also heard it implied that when you sin, God moves a distance. You've got to repent in the right way to get him to return. It's not true. But yeah, I mean, that's what's implied. And the reality is, even in the beginning, it was exactly opposite of that. When mankind falls, who ran away? Mankind ran away. What did God do? God came looking for them. God came looking. He didn't run away. It was mankind who ran away. And if you want to know this, the issue in the beginning wasn't really... I just stopped because I I get ready to say something. That when I say it, it's going to cause a reaction. And y'all look so nice, (laughs) but I don't want you reacting. The issue in the beginning was not sin. The issue was deception. It was deception first, which mankind gave into, then they sinned. And I have news for you. Today, with believers across the church, the issue is not sin first. It's deception. After the deception, we choose sin. I'm going to tell you, right now, the average believer in America is not choosing sin because they want to sin. 
They're choosing sin because they're hopeless of living a life with God according to their natural human works and effort. They have burned out. They've given up. They've become hopeless, and they've gotten into sin or compromise as a result. Are you listening to me? Okay, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at the beginning. And let me tell you, we're going to do something tomorrow morning that I think is fairly dramatic. And uh, if you come tomorrow morning at 10, we're going to have an encounter with the Lord where you're going to uh, experience something dramatic of the presence of the Lord. So, Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, uh, lean over next to a Christian and uh, share theirs. Just, that was a joke. That was, that was that was terrible. A little bit of guilt manipulation. There's just a little bit of witchcraft. Got to keep a little bit of witchcraft in there. Adam, when were you in Heather with us? When when was that? 2001. So that that's when my last two girl, when my last two kids were born. That's man, those were busy days. Uh, so. Uh, Genesis one twenty six, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion, basically over everything that's on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. Now, basically, what we draw from this is there was a threefold purpose in God creating mankind. Everybody knows this, but just give me a moment to to do it anyway. Um, We were created in his image. And what that means is we're really able to be his friends, as Ray was talking about. Really able to have fellowship with him. We are made in the image of God, which means we can really communicate, we can really relate. That is phenomenal. And my wife, for our third wedding anniversary, I bought her a dog. And uh, it's the worst mistake I ever made. Because um, when it's like a special gift like that, if something happens to it, you've got to pay whatever amount of money it is to fix the problem. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a mistake. But anyway, that dog ended up costing me a fortune. And, but she loved this dog, and, when, and, the, and the dog really, she thought, loved her. And so whenever she would go outside, you know, the dog would perk up, and she'd walk, and she would talk with him. You know how people are with their dogs, and... You know, she's talking with him, and he's just wagging his tail looking. And, and in her heart, and she's a very intelligent woman, in her heart she's thinking, he just, he loves me especially. He, he understands me. He didn't understand a word that she said. When she walked out of the house, he was thinking, there she is. I hope she gives me something to eat. I mean, he had a positive memory. I hope she scratches me behind my ears. You know, he, he she can't relate to that dog. She can't really fellowship. I, I'm sorry, I'm bursting some of your bubbles concerning your animals. They don't understand you. Okay? I've got a friend who trains dogs and he speaks German when he trains the dogs. There's a, there's a method of, of dog training that um, the Germans develop. This guy actually speaks in German. Somebody said to him, your dog speaks German. That's amazing. He said, no, they don't speak English either, you idiot. What's your problem? <laughs> anyway, I thought it was funny. 
my wife can't really have fellowship with that dog because they're not in the same image. She and I can have fellowship because we are in the same image. We're, we're in God's image. This is not some kind of sham where we just he we we just give him praise and worship. He we can really relate in friendship. The other thing is we're created after his likeness. Check this out. We were created like God. Isn't that awesome? We were created like him. And then the third thing is we were created to have dominion over the earth. Let me give you one that's real interesting. People have asked me for years, why did God put the serpent in the garden? What was up with that? How many of you have ever wondered that question? I've had people ask me that question. Why did God put, if, if, if God wanted everything perfect, why did he put the serpent in the garden? And recently the Lord showed me he didn't put the serpent in the garden. He put mankind in the garden in the serpent's domain so that we could take over that domain. See, the earth, when the garden was put in it, when mankind was put in it, was not perfect. It was incomplete. It was out of control. It had been created perfectly, but there had been some sort of fall, angelic or otherwise. I don't really understand it all. But apparently something had happened where there was the enemy here, and we were planted. We, a garden was planted representative of the kingdom of God, and mankind was put in it to replenish the earth and subdue it. You don't replenish something that's... Um, complete, you replenish something that has been depleted. You subdue something that is out of control. The earth was not perfect and under God's control when the garden was planted and mankind was put in it. It was out of control and it was depleted. It needed to be transformed supernaturally and God puts the garden there and then mankind in it so that he could extend that garden until it filled the entire earth. It's a perfect picture of us, the planting of the Lord being put on this planet to extend the kingdom of God until it fills the entire planet. Does this make sense to you? This stuff's really, really simple, honestly. So we were given dominion or authority. Check it out. Friendship in his image we were made like him, bearing his nature, and we were supposed to partner with him in friendship with his nature in order to replenish the earth and subdue it. Okay, so go with me to Genesis 3. That's our foundation, very quickly. And it's important to get this or we'll trip and go backwards tomorrow after we move forward. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yeah, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said we, we shouldn't eat it. We, we really can't even touch it lest we die. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Now listen to this. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, then your eyes are going to be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, what's, what's odd about that? What's odd about that is this. 
they were already like God. The enemy's deception was to get them to believe they needed something and they needed to get something through knowledge and attainment of knowledge and development, the knowledge of good and evil that God had already given them in their creation. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the introduction of the religious spirit into mankind. I know more Christians who are pursuing through knowledge and effort and energy and trying to be what God has already created them and gifted them to be. And as they move away from the faith of what God has done and they put their faith in what they can attain through their study, through their development, through everything else, they actually are coming under a religious spirit. Are you listening to me? I'm not anti-knowledge. I'm, I'm pro-knowledge. Um, I read through the Bible consistently, spend a lot of time in it. But the Bible is not supposed to be giving us an instruction manual on how to obtain from God or how to become something. It is a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done inside of us already. It is a revelation of Him. It is a revelation of Him inside of us. It is a revelation of us inside of Him. It is a revelation of His plan in fact, the Bible is not supposed to be just an instruction manual for how to live your life. It is a mirror to reveal who we are now in Christ and who He is inside of us. This doesn't reveal what you need to do. This reveals what you can now do because of the empowerment of the Spirit of God inside of you. Are you listening? Okay. Okay. Now, everybody take a couple of deep breaths. That was just one. Do it, take another one. Here's what happened. The moment that mankind believed was deceived. This is the deception. We're not like God. We lack something. We lack something. When they began to believe that they lacked something... They began to pursue, they chose to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did, all of a the sudden, their soul became exalted above their spirit. And they received a system of evaluating themselves separate and distinct from God's voice being the evaluation of who they were and what they could do. In other words, they now have a structured way of thinking to determine whether or not they're worthy or not to be able to approach God, live his life, walk with him, be accepted, everything else. Ultimately, mankind was given a religious framework for thinking. Instead of simply believing and trusting God's word. 
And that religious framework of thinking was now going to actually war against what God said. Can I demonstrate this for you? What's your name? Ben. Ben. It's a great name. You know what it means, of course. Son of my right hand, son of power and authority. That's awesome. See, here's what happens. Let's say that Ben, the Lord begins to speak to him and begins to say to him, Ben, I'm going to send you to the nations and I'm going to send you and you're going you're to teach and I'm going to use you in developing countries to develop educational systems and structures and it's going to be awesome and you're actually going to disciple nations by giving them systems of education that will transform the nation so that it's no longer in poverty. But he'll do something like that. But let's say Ben is infected with a religious spirit. And Ben has got this system of evaluating himself based on how much good he's done and how much evil he's avoided. And he's painfully aware of all of his mistakes. In fact, whenever he sins, he believes God's quickly pointing it out to him and and reminding him of it. And he's so painfully aware of what's wrong with him that when God speaks to him, his calling and his destiny to do something, he can't believe that because his focus is on everything that's wrong with him and that evaluation actually wars against God's declaration and God's word over him. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? And see, that, that's what happens. What was weird? I'm a teacher and I used to live in Ethiopia. Yeah. Well, if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you know, you get to that. Well, I mean, I, I knew you were a teacher and all that. That was easy for me. I mean, I could see that. The Ethiopia thing, I was just, I was just using uh, Afri- or a developing nation as a country. Anyway, the point is, can we all come back to my point now and everybody move away from this? Um, here's what happens. God's plan, are you ready for this? God's plan is to transform the planet by using mankind to do it. So then what's the battle going to be over? What's the battle going to be over then? The battle is going to be over mankind. Whoever controls mankind controls the planet. Whoever controls mankind controls the planet. God sought to and had a connection with mankind based on love. The enemy established one through deception that led to fear. The enemy wants to control mankind because whatever he can get mankind into... So goes the planet. You guys do understand God is not in control of things on the earth, right? I feel like I have your attention now. You might have heard it taught that God is in control. Don't worry, God is in control. That is a thoroughly unbiblical concept. Number one, God never said he was in control. Number two, the scriptures never say he's in control. 
Number three, the moment that he created mankind, he gave them authority and dominion over the earth. Say, but yeah, but I mean, ultimately he's in control. The scriptures say that the heavens, even the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men or to the children of men. If, if God was in control, things would be going a lot better. I mean, I'm like a student of the obvious. Don't you think? And see, we've taught, this is what we've done. We've told people in the world, when terrible things happen, don't worry, God's in control. And they think, we're trying to defend God's ability and power, and what we're doing is we're wounding the hearts of those he gave his son for, and it confuses them to try and understand a loving God who allows such things. God's not allowing what's happening on the earth today. Mankind is allowing what's happening on the earth today. Are you guys following this? Jesus never said he was in control. What did he say in Matthew 28, 18? He said, I've got all authority. If a police officer walks in here, what county are we in? Taylor, glad it's not Hazard County. I wanted to make a Kentucky joke somewhere. That was the best I could do anyway. If a police officer who has jurisdiction in Taylor County walks in, the moment that he walks in here, he has authority in this place, right? But does he have control? No. He has to work with his influence and with his authority and convince everyone here to come under his authority and then he works over time to get control of this situation, this place. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey guys, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore into the nations. Do what I did. Communicate the love of my Father. Demonstrate the supernatural nature of his kingdom and in a winsome fashion win their hearts so that they will give themselves to follow and be discipled by him and pick up his ways so that his kingdom will be established. If you'll use my authority, eventually we'll have control here and the kingdom will come. All right, let me fix one more thing. You can can get the CDs. You guys are making tapes or CDs? This will make sense to you later. Here's another one. How many of you say, yeah, I know he's not in control of things on earth, but I I feel like, you know, he's like in control of my life. Don't we believe that? I believe he's in control of my life. The scripture says nothing can take me out of his hand. Uh, we know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him. So I really do believe he is in control of my life. Yeah, but I'm on the earth. But see, there's the other point. You're not just on the earth. You're also in heaven where the Lord's in control. Are you guys following this? You're not just living here on the earth. You're also at the same time seated in a heavenly place in Christ Jesus. In other words, 
The reason that we can live a supernatural life right now is that we have been planted together in the heavenly places in Christ. We have been made to sit with him. We have been put there by divine gift, not our own effort or anything else. We've been placed there. And that gives us access to the resource of heaven so that as we walk on the earth, we can dramatically impact the natural supernaturally because we've got access into the heavenly realm because we're there. So when you go to pray for somebody, you don't have to think, oh, do I have enough faith? No. You're in heaven. You don't think, I'm not sure um, that I've done enough. It's not based, your position in heaven is not based on what you've done. Somebody told me recently, I was in Australia, and they said, uh, you know, somebody introduced me to him as a pastor, and I said, where do you pastor? And then we were talking about it. And he, they, he said, I'm, I also work another job. I'm bivocational. I'm a bivocational pastor. I said, oh, that's great. I'm a bilocational pastor. I said, I'm walking on the earth and I'm living in heaven at the same time. It's an awesome experience. So he's not in control of things on the earth. He has all authority here, but he's not here. We're here, but we're not just living here. We're also seated in those heavenly places. Can you follow this? This, this is where we are. Okay. So the original deception was, you're not like God. If you'll do this, you'll become like him. Is it possible that those of us who are passionate for God's kingdom coming on the earth also still live partially under this deception believing that we have to give ourselves over and over and over and profoundly in order to become like him instead of believing he's already made us like him by divine gift? And are we actually pulled out of engaging in our purpose because we are spending so much time trying to get what we've already been given or become what we've already been made? Man, I'm feeling that. I, I, I think it's the case. I think we've been trying to make ourselves holy and doing a sorry job at it. <laughs> Believing that if we got holy enough, God would move somehow supernaturally from heaven and drop a revival on the earth. Isn't that what the average Christian in America believes? Once the church gets holy, God will move. The reality is, we've been trying to do God's job, expecting God to do ours. We've been trying to make ourselves holy, which we can't do, expecting Him to change the world, which we're called to do. Yeah, we, we, need to, we need to switch it up. We need to begin believing and celebrating and discovering 
that he has made us holy, that he has lifted us up and exalted us, put us in an, an, an exalted position by divine gift so that we can begin accessing, living in that heavenly supernatural realm and changing things on the planet. Supernaturally. How about this one? You ready? I want you to look at me because this, this is going to be difficult for you. I'm, just, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get a lot done here. I am holy and blameless before God. And I can walk with him in holiness and blameless all the days of my life. Absolutely not. She would not say I'm holy and blameless before her. (laughs) But that is offensive sounding, especially to those of us who have developed and been raised under a system of supposed religious human righteousness. It sounds arrogant to say that, but all it is is an agreement with the Scriptures in which someone even under the Old Covenant prophesying about the new says this. Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he's he's visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, that he would grant us that we being delivered out of the hands of our enemies might serve him without fear. That was a promise in the new covenant that we could serve God without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So when I tell you that I stand or that I I am walking or that I am living or that I am holy and blameless before God and can continue that all the days of my life, although it may sound like I'm basing that on my own effort, energy, and works, I'm basing it solely 100% in my faith and believing what Jesus has accomplished on my behalf. And the amount of rest that that brings into your life, the end to the striving that that brings is profound. And then what it opens up is this. When we enter into the rest of God, we begin to find the rest of God. Are you following me? We lose the aggression that we have towards the world. The aggression that the average evangelical has towards the world is because we want to use the same control spirit on them and their perpetrating of evil that we're attempting to suppress it within ourselves. Does this make sense? (sighs) 
What if the religious spirit has hijacked Christian teaching to the degree that our minds are so closed to what he's already done that we've been deceived just like Adam, the man and the woman, and we're pursuing what we already have through a means that will never bring it. Now, I'm not making you, I don't want to make you anti-Bible study. Do you understand? I mean, I love the Bible. I mean, in fact, what, what I'm speaking is found in the Scripture. But, but what are we doing? Are we, are we trying to spend, t- or do we think that in the act of doing it we get something? Is it in the accumulation of knowledge that we get it? Or is it that what Paul prayed for almost every one of the churches that he wrote epistles to, that the eyes of our understanding would be open, that we would know the hope of his calling, that we would know the things that are freely given to us by God? In other words, are we reading this to see and for it to come alive and for us to, to, to experience? Is this a reminder for us of what has already happened? In fact, I would suggest to you that it is. In fact, the last book of the Bible, the Revelation of Jesus Christ, is not called the Revelation of eschatological end-time events that will happen in the 21st century. It's called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation. Have you ever noticed that the emphasis on the book of Revelation is about the Antichrist? You ever ever notice that? But it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know that the the word antichrist is never even mentioned in the book of Revelation? I may be opening up a battle on too many fronts. Listen, we got massive components of the American church worried about being left behind. I have news for you. You already have been. You were left behind with Jesus' authority to be able to see the kingdom of God come. Is this making sense to you? Okay, all right. Yeah, I understand. I've been processing this for about 20-something years, and so... How about if I can show you if I can show you that what this religious spirit has done is has, it has pulled us away from the supernatural reality of what Jesus has accomplished, the supernatural reality that we're currently living in, and the supernatural reality that we can demonstrate, and instead given us a very, very natural lens to look through the Scriptures. How about if I could prove that to you very quickly? Would you be okay with that? Okay, I'm trying to open up a lot of things, obviously. This is, this is the point in the talk where the rock came flying through in Montana, in case you were wondering. Turn with me to John chapter 14. I don't have time to do this tonight. We may do it tomorrow. 
But there is a dramatic anti-supernatural bias woven through the average Western Christian's theology. It's all supernatural. A virgin conceiving is supernatural. God creating mankind with his hands is supernatural. God breathing into mankind, his nostrils, the breath of life is supernatural. It's all supernatural. That doesn't mean it's esoteric and ethereal and not real world. It's real world. Okay? John chapter 14. Jesus is getting ready to take off here. So he says to his disciples this. Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't don't be upset. Don't be concerned. You believe in God. Believe in me also. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, you may also be. Now here's what we imagine when we read this. We think Jesus was saying that in my Father's house are many rooms or many mansions. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you and when... Uh, I come back, or when you die and I come back for you, I'm going to take you and you're going to live in a mansion in glory. Right? That's pretty much what we think. I'd like to suggest to you that in context, that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about is this. Originally, mankind was created of the earth. He was created, God took the dust of the earth. He took the natural framing, the natural elements of this earth, and he made man with his hand. You want to know your value? You're handmade by God. Handmade by God. That's real deep. But even deeper than that, God making you by hand wasn't good enough. He wanted to get more up close and personal. So he either did two things, and I, I can't tell which, but both could happen, and both prophetically did. He either lifted us up to his level, or he bent down to ours, and he breathed into us the breath of life, and he made the natural body of man supernatural with his life and with his breath. See, for God, he's so loving and his heart towards us is so great that just making us by hand was not enough. He had to get right in our face, face to face, and breathe into us the breath of life. And we became supernatural. That was the whole thing about the earth. That's why we were given authority over the earth. We were taken from it. We were empowered by God's breath, his spirit. We became supernatural, showing that just as we came alive by the breath of God, so the rest of creation will come alive as we bring the breath of God into it. See, God's not trying to convert the world from bad natural to good natural. He's trying to convert it from natural to supernatural using us. Are you following this? That's what he's trying to do. Okay? So, so what are you saying? When he created mankind, mankind was not supposed to just labor and toil and extend the garden through effort. Mankind was bearing God's nature, his image, and his glory, and he was to transform, and ex- transform the earth and extend the garden supernaturally with the glory of God. Okay? 
He did that by being in relationship with God. He did that by being over the earth. He did that, you can hear this, by being in two places at one time. In a heavenly place and on the earth at the same time. That's what mankind was originally called to walk in. Now we're going to go through these scriptures real quickly. We'll examine them again tomorrow morning. But we're going to do more than examine them. We're going to live them. We're going to do something tomorrow. It's just going to be so much fun, but it's going to be revolutionary for you, okay? Check it out. When Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you, I'd go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may also be. Ladies and gentlemen, God's purpose in sending Jesus wasn't just so that we could go to heaven when we die. It was so that we could go to heaven while we're still living and transform the earth just like Jesus did. So when he said here, in my Father's house are many rooms, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I go, I'm going to come, and I'm going to receive you to myself so that where I am you may also be. He didn't say that where I'm going, you may also be. He said, where I am. Jesus was saying right there to them, you're looking at me, but I'm in heaven right now. Okay? Now let me also show you this. Skip down to verse 16. He had said in verse 3, If I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. Okay? So we'll skip down to verse 16. I wish I had time to go through all the verses. I don't. Verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him, neither does it know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and he's going to be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. He had told them in verse 3 that if I go prepare a place, I'm going to come to you and receive you to myself. We think that's him at his second coming. It was not. I mean, and ultimately that is the case. I mean, ultimately there is a second coming, blah, 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 blah. But if you can hear this, the second coming isn't so much about us going to heaven. It's about heaven coming to earth. That's what the book of Revelation says. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Y'all look like y'all signed up for this one when I got up here. All right, here we go. I will come to you. Verse 18, what he says here, and this is a legal hermeneutic, he had said, if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come to you. Now he's saying he's going to send the comforter, and he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Him coming to us was the sending of the Spirit. When the Spirit came redeemed mankind, individuals who were born again, were re-exalted and put up into those heavenly rooms that God had created for mankind originally to dwell in. Are you listening to me? That's what he was talking about. How can you prove that? Well, let's go backwards. Let's go look at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. You know the story, there's a man, a teacher of the Pharisees, Nicodemus. 
a ruler of Jews, he comes to Jesus at night and he says, Teacher, we know that you're a teacher come from God. No one can do the miracles that you do except God's with him. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man is born again. Does anybody have a little note there in their Bible or another translation about what that means, born again? Born from above. Born from above. Okay, just letting it land. Except a man be born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? That is a bizarre statement. You ever thought about that? Too large to, you know, that ain't going to work. I mean, that's what he's saying. I'm not trying to be graphic, but ladies and gentlemen, that's the conversation that's occurring here. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, except a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. What he's saying here is if you're not born naturally of the water, the bag of water is the, uh, that, you know, that whole deal. If you're not born of the water, I caught five of them, I, I didn't want to get too graphic. Unless you're born naturally of the water and born of the Spirit, born from above or born supernaturally, you can't enter the kingdom of God. In other words, you've got to be born naturally, and then you've got to be born supernaturally. You've got to be born of the water. You've got to be born of the Spirit. You've got to be born from the earth, and then you've got to be born from above. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit, Spirit. Someone says, no, the, the water is water baptism. No, it's not. It, just, it goes on. It just keeps saying the flesh and the Spirit. I just thought I would deal with that. Anyway, there you go. That which is born of the Spirit, Spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. And then he goes on, he says stuff. Now, let me skip down. Verse 10, are you a master of Israel and you don't know these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and we testify that which we've seen, but you don't receive our witness. If I've told you of earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Listen to this. No one, no man has ascended up to heaven except he who came down from heaven. That would be me, Jesus is saying. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Jesus is saying, nobody has ascended up to these rooms in heaven except for the one who came down from heaven. That would be me, even the Son of Man, who right now standing before you is also in heaven. You're saying, yeah, but he was Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, he lived as a man anointed by God with the Holy Spirit in power who went around demonstrating the kingdom of God. When he was filled with the Spirit, he ascended to heaven. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. Are, are you following this, though? When Jesus was filled with the Spirit, that's when he ascended to heaven according to what he's saying here in John 3. No one has ascended to heaven except he who descended from heaven even the Son of Man which is in heaven. It is the receiving of the Spirit, it is the being born again that plants us 
by divine gift in the heavenly places. What are you saying? I'm saying when I wandered over here to Ben, and I look at him and I can see he's an educator and a teacher, I began to prophesy that. Okay? And that was, <clears throat> we could say that was God giving me a word of knowledge, and that would be accurate. We'd say the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 14 or 1 Corinthians 12, gave me a word of knowledge. And then some kind of prophetic thing came that I didn't even understand about this other developing country deal. Or, another way we can look at that is, by divine gift, I was placed in the heavenly place, and when I saw that, I was seeing with those eyes from that position. All by divine gift. It's not me doing it as an act of my will. It's me and the Lord doing it in partnership, relationship together because he's planted me up there in his son and we're in relationship. And that's where we are. And I'm there because he made me like him. I did not ascend to that place on my own. I was pulled up. I was received into that place by divine gift. Which means I'm not going to fall out when I do something stupid, which is inevitable. Because I'm there by divine gift. Are you listening to me? This is not about what we can do now that we're born again, independent, and living on our own. It was always about what people could do in relationship with God who were like him, who had been given authority by him. It was always in the context of relationship. So, if this is the case, if we're in these heavenly places, if we, are, if we need to quit saying that we are having angelic visitations and instead we're having angelic encounters because they're not visiting because we live where they live, are you following? We, we need a brand new language structure that creates and that engenders the faith that we've been delivered. And we need to start practicing not just the presence of the Lord, we need to start practicing our position in God. And we need to start realizing where we've been lifted up to. We need to realize and we need to communicate and then we're not communicating with a God up there. We're communicating with the God who has brought us up with him. And see, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, I, I don't know. When he created mankind and he breathed into him the breath of life, did he bow?